Let's open our Bibles again to 2 Timothy chapter number 1, where we will pick up everything at verse number 15 in a moment. Last time we were together, I hope you were overwhelmed with the energy of the Apostle Paul writing to his protege, Timothy, and urging him to stick with the program, stick with the faith, regardless of the way things are going with the persecutions of the years 65 and 66, which is right where I think we're looking at here with the writing of this letter. Uh, the apostle uh, Peter is already dead. A lot of other Christians in and around Rome have been killed in horrible fashions uh, because uh, the uh, line of persecution against them is that Christians are haters of the Roman people and uh, they are uh, proponents of burning the whole thing down uh, on behalf of their God. Uh, and so that's why uh, Paul has been arrested and why he has already uh, been put through one trial, probably at Ephesus, uh, and uh, found guilty of being a ringleader of this cult, that's how they would have thought of it, uh, of arsonists. Uh, and uh, he no doubt appealed instantly uh, so that he's now been transported to Rome where he's awaiting his next go-round on this issue. Uh, and so Paul started with this encouragement, don't allow yourself to be scaled back. You know, bring that flame of evangelism back up in your heart, Timothy. Uh, now, starting in verse 15, Paul um, lets Timothy know uh, some of the pains in his own heart as to what's just happened. So, 2 Timothy 1.15, you are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Fugelis and Hermogenes. Now, Asia here is a reference to Roman Asia, which is the western end of modern-day Turkey, and Ephesus was the capital city of that province. And so Paul is basically saying all of, uh, all of the people living in Asia turned against me turned against me in this most recent event. And uh, two of the key people that he names that must have hurt him a lot are listed here, Fugelis and Hermogenes. Uh, verse number 16, Paul says, May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. Now, Onesiphorus is a good guy. And so he's not just, Paul's not just naming bad guys. He names the good people in his life, the ones that, that um, helped him through the tough time. 
And Paul says, not only did Onesiphorus help me out there at Ephesus because he wasn't ashamed of me being a, a Roman uh, prisoner, verse 17, but when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. Now, I think that's not a reference to Paul's first time at Rome, although some commentators do. I think it's a reference to his current time at Rome. I think once Paul was convicted and shipped off to Rome as a convict, that Onesiphorus very quickly made arrangements to follow behind him to try to help him out. And he had to look for him. Uh, the tradition is that the Apostle Paul was uh, put in uh, the most secure part of the worst prison uh, that the city of Rome had at this time. I think it's referred to as the Mamertine prison. And so it may have taken a little bit of effort for him uh, to be chased down, but he was. Uh, and a good thing, too, because uh, the story goes that if you were in a prison like this, uh, you would be living on starvation rations and not well taken care of by the guards because they figured you were done for anyway. And so you needed someone outside that was interested in trying to make things a little bit more manageable for you inside. And so that appears to be what Onesimus, or Onesiphorus was doing. Verse number 18, May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. Now, we keep hearing this day reference. It's the day of Jesus, the day of the Lord, the day of the second coming, uh, when Jesus will say, Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into uh, your master's rest. And so that's what Paul is saying. May Onesiphorus, because of his kindnesses toward me, find mercy himself and kindness and compassion from Jesus Christ whenever this is all done. Uh, and then Paul writes one more line about Onesiphorus, and you know well all the service he rendered at Ephesus. Seems to me that Onesiphorus was particularly helpful to the Apostle Paul during uh, his last time to Ephesus and perhaps even during uh, that time between his arrest and his trial and conviction. Uh, and so Paul wants that on the record and wants Timothy uh, to be well aware of it. Uh, verse number 1 of chapter 2. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Now, we already saw this. He thinks of Timothy as his own kid. He never had physical kids of his own. He didn't marry. Uh, so, Timothy is like his spiritual son. Titus as well, and I have no doubt many others. Uh, that he has been working with. He says, look, kid, look, my boy, you need to be strengthened 
by the grace, the unmerited favor that comes in the person of Jesus Christ. And this is what I need you to do based on that. Verse 2, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Now, this is the chain of custody for the gospel. This is the chain of custody for the work and word of God in the church. And preachers, and all you young preachers, I need you to pay attention at this point and get with the program. Uh, Now, it is good that we have professional training centers. Uh, When I was first involved uh, way back many decades ago, we referred to them as Bible schools or Bible colleges. Uh, But uh, unfortunately, uh, over time, they kind of got involved in doing more than just training preachers, and so they started being referred to as Christian schools, as Christian colleges, and then it expanded even more, and they became universities, and sometimes they even dropped the word Christian, and all of that is very frustrating to me. But we had those schools with the purpose in mind at the very beginning of doing exactly these things, that young men in particular would come into classroom settings with professors who themselves had been preachers and teachers of the word, uh, and they would learn from them. And they would even go to events and churches and forums where they could hear and see these these more advanced or more, um, more mature and uh, uh, more, I don't know, experienced, I guess is the word I'm looking for here, preachers. And they would learn from that. And then they were expected, once they got all that under their belt and had some experience and had some more training uh, that they felt confident with, they'd turn around and they would become the teachers who would then... Uh, have in their heads, the people I'm training today will be the people training later. And so here I am, uh, an older preacher, and uh, my goal in life is to make sure exactly what Paul is saying here. I want all you young preachers to listen up, pay attention to what we older preachers are teaching and what we're doing, and you get into the Word. You you work hard. You soak it up. You understand it, and you get yourself ready so that when you're now in our place later, you'll be able to pass it on. And while you're doing it, keep in mind that the people you're talking to have to do it as well. Uh, so we can't, we can't just be haphazard about it. We teach with the intention of making teachers. We preach with the intention of making preachers. 
And so, young preachers, get it done. And keep in mind, one of these days, you'll be in this chair. You'll be in this spot taking care of business until the Lord comes. Verse number three, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Now, Paul is definitely suffering. He's going through some tough times right now, uh, being in custody, being in, I think, a prison cell now, uh, and it not being a very pleasant place. Um, but he understands it's, if you'll allow me to use a, a sports metaphor of the more modern era, it's par for the course. This is what is expected to be the norm when you are a Christian preacher. Uh, and so Paul says, you are a soldier of Jesus Christ. You're not out there killing people. You're out there taking on the enemy. That is, you know, the angels and principalities and powers, the, the wicked forces in the heavenly realms. Remember the Ephesians chapter 6 passage. You know, we're, we're not wrestling against flesh and blood. That's not our battle. It's not against people. People are POWs. People are manipulated and misled by the forces of spiritual evil. And so we have to be good soldiers. And Paul says, you need to share in the suffering that comes with being a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Verse 4, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Now, some soldiers did have families. Understand that. And that's definitely true in our modern military. It's more of a profession in a lot of senses. But in the first century period, the vast majority of soldiers were not married, especially not the lower-ranking ones, uh, the foot soldiers, the common soldiers. Uh, their only focus was being a soldier. They didn't worry about buying a house and settling down. They didn't worry about saving enough money to go to college later uh, and find a career. They didn't think about uh, being able to have enough set aside out of their pay every month in order to buy themselves a nice chariot. Those are civilian pursuits. Those are civilian thinkings. Paul says, no soldier who's worth his salt, worth his pay, gets entangled in civilian pursuits because the only thing he thinks about is how can I make my commanding officer, my commanding officers, proud of me. And so the application of this illustration is, is very easily made. And that is, when we come into Christianity and come as preachers into preaching specifically, we've got to stay focused on making God proud of us, making sure we get his stuff done. This is one of the reasons you know that Paul advised Christians 
and I'm sure he definitely focused on this for uh, preachers, to remain single because of the crisis that he knew was coming prophetically. And now it's here. And so he tells Timothy, you be focused on making Jesus proud with your behavior. Verse 5, an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Uh, They had lots of sporting contests on lots of different schedules. Uh, The Olympics was only one of those. But the the athletes who competed in these things, uh, they were doing it so that they could get this, this crown of greenery put on their head. Uh, that's the Stephanus crown. That's the victor's crown. But Paul says the only way those guys get that far is by following the rules of the game. And so the implication is, Timothy, you've got to stay focused on the rules of the game. And what is that? Saving souls. Making people more in touch with Jesus by having them uh, come to him as their Savior and as their Lord. So that's, that's the whole idea that uh, Paul is trying to get here for Timothy and all us other preachers that are reading this now. It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Uh, So farmers are out there putting in those long hours, all that hard, sweaty labor, uh, so that they can produce a crop, which is then going to be sold, more than likely, most of it, uh, in order to make a profit. Uh, But not all of it. The first part of it, he gets to eat from. That's the norm. Uh, And so Paul is using this term or this phrase, this illustration in verse 6, in a way similar, I think, uh, to what he did in 1 Timothy, and that is that you shouldn't uh, muzzle the ox that's uh, treading out the wheat. Uh, That is, preachers do need to be supported out of the funds that are generated in the uh, growth of the church, the life of the church. And so I think he is telling Timothy that uh, it's right for him uh, to be supported uh, as he's doing the hard work that's part of the kingdom progress. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. So teachers often say this, you know, that, I want you to think about this. I want you to process it. I want you to chew on it. I, I've said this before, you know, uh, you know, read ahead or reread this or do some research and, and be ready to think a little bit deeper next time we come back together. So here's Paul telling a preacher to di- dig deeper, get farther down into this information. Verse 8. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. So here's some principles of of Christian leadership thinking. Jesus Christ is the first and foremost. Remember his name in Hebrew, Yoshua. 
he who is salvation. Uh, Christos, which is equivalent to Mashiach, which is Messiah, and it means the anointed one, and it focuses on him being the, the, the Messiah king. So we need to remember he who is salvation, he who is the king, he's risen from the dead. That is a centerpiece of the gospel story, isn't it? If you do not believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ, you are not a Christian. It's that simple. It is core to faith. Risen from the dead, the offspring of David, and, and the wording here is the seed of David. So he is fulfilling prophecies that someone, a son of David, a descendant of David, would sit upon the throne forever. That's Jesus. And Paul says, as preached in my gospel. So this is all part of his normal preaching. For which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. He says, this is what I'm preaching. This is what I'm teaching. This is why I'm in trouble. This is why I've got these chains on me as if I'm some sort of bad guy. But the reality is, in spite of these chains, God's word is not chained up. It still goes forward. And aren't we thankful for that? Uh, that none of us, can really be stopped from living out the precepts and speaking out the precepts of the word until they kill us or until we die. That's the only way uh, that these tongues can be stilled. The only way that these hands and feet can be stopped from uh, offering glory to the God of the universe. Verse 10, therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect. Uh, the elect here is a reference to all those who God knows will embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ and be part of the eternal family. So he says, I'm, I'm enduring everything that we're talking about here for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. So it's all about helping people come to Jesus, helping people be saved, helping people to be restored in relationship to the one that wants to spend eternity with them. And then Paul engages in uh, something that may have been some poetry of the early church, maybe even uh, had been turned into a song. The saying is trustworthy. So this is foundational. If we have died with him, we will also live with him. Now, that, that's a metaphorical death, I think we're talking about here. Uh, for we have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer us living but it's Christ living in us. You know the, the Galatians 2.20 principle. So Paul here is saying, if we have died with Jesus, been 
buried with him in baptism, uh, been raised to newness of life. So if we've died with him, then we're going to live with him. Remember the whole Romans uh, passage, chapter number six, the idea that, you know, if, if we have died with Jesus, now it's our time to live with Jesus. Verse 12, if we endure, remember he had just been talking about enduring here, if we endure, we will also reign with him. So Jesus is coming back as the King of kings, the Lord of lords. Book of Revelation, chapter number 19, chapter number 20, portrays him as ruling and reigning with his saints. So if we endure with him now through this part of the story, then we will reign with him then. And then we have a little bit of um, negativity as a warning. If we deny him, he also will deny us. Now, that's straight out of the Gospels. Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father in heaven. But if you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father in heaven. So Paul says, if we, in the throes of this persecution, you know, and that's what's going on, remember. If we, being put under pressure by the world, deny Jesus, back off from believing in him, then he's going to back off from having a relationship with us. It's that simple. Verse 13, if we are faithless, that is, we walk away from the faith, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. See, regardless of what we might do, regardless of what the Christian next to me on either side might do under pressure, if we, all of us, were to fall away and deny Jesus, Jesus is not going to fall away from his plan. He's not going to fall away from his intention to redeem as many human beings as he possibly can. That was his intention, that was his mission, and he will get it done because he is not going to deny his own name, he who is salvation. He came here for a purpose. And so um, this is where we'll pick up next session. Uh, remind them of these things. So Paul is kind of getting things off his chest right here, but he's also telling Timothy, you hang in there and keep doing your job as a preacher, as a teacher, as an evangelist. Remind the people of what they need to know from God's word.